Hi, David. It's good to talk to you again. Hi, Todd. It's great to be with you again. I thought we'd start with Larry Kramer, um, who died last month. Um, what can you tell us about him? Well, Todd, um, his passing personally for me has just really brought up a lot of memories. Um, and, and pretty much, I think everyone in the, in the gay community and also in the HIV community would say the same thing. Um, Larry Kramer was, um, he was bigger than life. Uh, he was uh, actually a playwright first, uh, and then he became a, a real gay rights advocate and also an HIV AIDS advocate. And he became, I mean, he became one of the leading voices. And he, in 1981, he founded the Gay Men's Health Crisis. Um, and that was the first program in the United States, particularly for HIV positive people and to influence the services they needed. Um, it was very unusual at that time. Now, Larry Kramer could be pretty controversial. Even though he founded it, a year later, he actually ended up being kicked off of the board by some of the other board members who thought he was he was being too aggressive. Um, and he actually had some not-so-kind words to say about them. Um, and then he went on to, to create ACT UP, which was the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. Before we discuss some of the things that the kidney community and, and others could learn from, from Larry Kramer. I'm curious if you could just give people who may not have been alive or may have been very young in the 80s and early 90s, just a sense as to the tension around HIV and AIDS, as well as the fear in a lot of, of the public around the disease and just the level of uncertainty. Well, Fear is, is, is definitely where you start. Uh, you start in around 81 with one of the first reports of a strange gay plague, a gay cancer. It's called in a couple of different publications. I can remember as a young man reading that and thinking, what in the world is going on? And um, as I talked to other people, we all, we all had no idea what was going on at, at first. It, and it was taboo because it was also primarily occurring in the gay community. And at, at that point, we just weren't where we are as a society right now. Um, people who were openly gay could be fired, discriminated against in housing, all of those things. And so this was a, a very, very touchy, touchy area. Um, and so this was not the, not the world that we know now. And so it really did scare people on one level. Um, and it also really just kind of confounded uh, the scientific community, and many of whose researchers will say we just had no idea what we were dealing with and didn't make any sense. And um, as as Dr. Anthony Fauci said, Larry Kramer came along and quote scared the hell out of the scientific community and the regulatory community, and end quote, and demanded a seat at the table. It was a real game changer in patients becoming advocates for their care and for research. And I'm struck, I mean, if, if, if people are interested in reading the sort of early days of the AIDS crisis and, and the response of the federal government, um, probably the definitive source would be And the Band Played On, which I just can't recommend highly enough. David, are there other books that you would recommend in terms of histories of this period? There's a lot more there, but I would start with And the Band Plays On. There's, there's no other place to really to start with that. It's a really, it's a critical place to, to begin, and it will really give you a, a, a vision into a world that was very different 
um, than what we have now. Like I said, I, I can remember taking people who were sick to buyer's club uh, situations to try to get products, medicinal things, herbs, things that were just being talked about as possible uh, treatments because there was so little, uh, if anything, to take. Um, so it was it was a scary time, and it was also a time when, because of the taboo, a lot of people didn't want to talk about it. And so you don't even get President Reagan mentioned it until 1986, I think it is, uh, when he finally finally did actually say the state in the State of the Union address. And it's interesting because the story is slightly different, but I think a lot of the themes are similar, which is if you go back to the late 60s and 70s and, and Mary Lasker's efforts um, to advocate for more federal attention and more of a strategy around cancer and cancer research and ultimately um, treatment for cancer. Uh, again, to recommend a book, Emperor of All Maladies, uh, A Biography of Cancer, um, is, does a terrific job of telling the story. And so if we look at sort of these two situations, Larry, or these two individuals, Larry Kramer and, and Mary Lasker, what you see is, or I think the common themes are, one, individual patient advocacy, Two, really making the federal government uncomfortable in terms of you're not doing enough, you don't have a focused plan, you're not, um, you're not taking us seriously and realizing sort of the potential implications of these diseases. And then the third, which I think gets lost a lot, is the focus on research and the focus on NIH and other sort of federal funders driving the way and saying these diseases are important. We need to move toward a cure. We need to try everything we can to be successful. And, and everyone knows the story of what's happened with, with cancer treatments since the 70s and also with, with treatment for HIV and AIDS since the late 80s and early 90s. Let me stop there, see if you have anything to add, and then I want to just ask you about Dr. Fauci because I think he provides a wonderful transition from the Larry Kramer story into the current situation with COVID-19. Well. If, if you don't mind, I'd like to say this one thing because I think it kind of leads right into what you're saying. Um, in 1988, Larry Kramer called in the San Francisco Examiner magazine. Um, he calls uh, Anthony Fauci a killer and an incompetent idiot. And it had to do with the research and the research priorities and how they were being handled. Um, and so it does, I mean, you're talking about some very aggressive advocacy right there and he put someone whom we all have come to admire greatly um in a, in a very harsh spotlight and you know insisted that action be taken and action be taken now um and he was passing his opinion that what was being done was not working how did dr fauci react to those comments well if any of our listeners can search and easily find uh dr fauci being interviewed uh, about Larry Kramer's passing, and there's a great piece um, that has to do with uh, with the broadcast that was done uh, at the end of the end of May with WNYC Studios and the Takeaway, which is a series I like a lot. Um, and so, Dr. Fauci basically says, "I realized that this was coming from a place of real anger and frustration, and I decided." that I was going to talk to him and I was going to go get to know him. And he just decided to do that. And of course, as he describes in many of the interviews he did uh, here and in the New York Times and elsewhere, 
was that as they got to know each other, they both just began to see each other as human beings. Um, and you know, he said, you know, up until that point, you know, the, you know, he'd come, even Anthony Fauci had come out of the, the model that basically was, and I, I'm using his words here. I'm going to paraphrase him a tiny bit, but I think I've got him mostly correct. Don't bother us. We're scientists. We're the physicians. We're the regulators. Basically, how he describes the way this, the scientists and researchers and the regulatory community viewed people like Anthony Fauci. Um, they were like, we're the grown-ups. We'll take care of this. And I think the same way as what went on with cancer. It's just This was when patient advocates began to say, no, you do not have all the answers. And no, we, we need to be a part of this this whole approach. And I feel like that's starting to happen in the kidney community. I mean, there's clearly much more interaction and discussion between people with kidney diseases or kidney failure or kidney transplants and the physicians and scientists and others. And, and that seems to be happening in a way that wasn't even 10 years ago. Um, and I'm also sensing a little more frustration and anger from the community um, so both the, the patients and the patient advocates, but also the, the health professionals, particularly toward sort of funders of research, but also, you know, if you think of the executive order and, and, and some of the efforts, particularly around transplant, some of the care delivery models, a real frustration with the status quo. What's your take on that? I totally agree with everything you just said. And you just touched on the absolute electric third rail there in that, in that particular conversation right now. Um, in kidney care, which is transplant, and how organs are uh, how organs are allocated, and, you know how they're cured, how they're allocated, um, and you know what role the kidney patient has in kind of deciding whether they will take a suboptimal kidney or not. Um, and it, this, it, you know, here we are in 2020, and I can tell you when C, when CMS had its quality conference in Baltimore in February, and they had just reported out. Uh, some of the issues about how kidneys were being not used and, and, and opportunities were sometimes being missed. And that totally transformed that entire, um, get that entire meeting for three days. And I, as I've said, and I think you've been in the room with me when I've said it, is I, I would welcome some more direct, not hostility, but some real passionate action and a bit of anger. On the on the part of kidney patients with the system and and how slowly it has moved or not moved uh, in research and in other issues like transplant and so I I think you're absolutely right I think there's a lot to be said there for the, the kidney community now that's not to push this on anyone it's not the responsibility of patients to make sure that they pay attention to what they should be paying attention to a lot of good work has gone into taking care of kidney patients but. Yeah, it's it, it's moved slowly, and I think that there is some room for for them to voice frustration. Well, and, and and the timing is interesting because one of the things we've talked about before, and it's been on other podcast interviews that that ASN has produced. One of the outcomes, one of the realities of the the current pandemic, is that um, health disparities are worsening. And social determinants of health have really been exposed in terms of just the the level of inequality and inequity in terms of how healthcare is delivered in the United States and in many countries throughout the world. Um, and so, I would anticipate that we will start to see um, 
increased discussion around the kidney disease patient population, which is disproportionately of African descent, of Latino descent, and of um, Native American descent. So it, it seems as though the time is now for us to, to start to sort of re-engage in this discussion. That's the way I have felt. You know, I have, I have felt very nostalgic in, in the last couple of weeks about several things. And I do feel like in this case, particularly with the kidney, within this pandemic, its impact on kidney patients, its impact, excuse me, on the kidneys for many patients is that just overall the vulnerability that's been exposed of kidney patients in the midst of this pandemic. Um, yeah, I think it is time. I think it's a really good time to say, let's focus on this because anything that is, has been a weakness or not structured to be a strong a reinforcement or a guardrail for patients that, that exists in our society, it has been fully exposed during this pandemic. Um, and there are a lot of, like you said, there are a lot of communities of color that are just really heavily impacted by kidney disease and are being also heavily impacted by the, the virus um, and, and COVID-19. Before we close, you and I need to acknowledge the number one issue, and it's what's front and center, and it's what's occurring as we're recording this podcast, which is the entire sort of house of medicine, all the different organizations, including ASN, the Council of Medical Specialty Societies, and a number of patient advocacy organizations, all issuing incredibly strong statements against racism. And those statements cover a wide range of issues from racism against the general public to the effects on patient populations relating back to what we were discussing around um, health disparities and, and social determinants of health. Um, these statements have also talked a lot about how fear-mongering around the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in um, threats against healthcare workers. Remember, the health professionals are an incredibly diverse workforce and just People who are putting their lives on the line every day are being threatened um, for their for their ethnicity. Um, there's just an incredible amount of things happening right now. And the fact that at least ASN and other organizations are, are standing together, speaking out and, and trying to identify concrete ways that we can start to address this 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 crisis, um, both in the United States, but also, I think, really across the world. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That is, this is the moment that we need to stop and look at this and just say, point blank, it is wrong. We know it is wrong. And yet we've somehow allowed it to continue to go on. And it just has to stop. It just has to. And I, I really compliment you on your leadership of trying to get other medical societies to join in in that call. Um, we need to really do something about racism in America. It is our long, ugly history, and it is something that we will never get away from unless we face it. Well, I appreciate the compliment. I really should give a shout out to Bob Doherty. Um, Bob Doherty has led the American College of Physicians uh, policy operation since the uh, merger of ACP and the American Society of Internal Medicine. Before that, he led ASIM's um, policy efforts from the 70s. And um, Bob has been incredibly forceful and Larry Kramer-esque on this issue. And I think he's helped 
rally the community, but he's also called out some organizations. And, and I think that's the right thing to do with an issue this important. I do too. And I'm, I'm glad people like you are, are leading other organizations to be there with him on the front lines. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate that. And it was good to talk to you. Thank you, Todd. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.